This is episode 602 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I have a special interview with Daisy Luther of TheOrganicPrepper.com. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 602, and this is going to be a great one. Like I said in the introduction, uh, interview with Daisy Luther of The Organic Prepper, and uh, it was just really good to be able to sit down and talk with her about, uh, we talk about food storage, we talk about being frugal, we talk about the elections and a lot of other stuff as well kind of thrown in there. You know, really, we could have probably gone for a long time just talking. So I'm going to have to have her back at some point. I know that she's got a new book going to be coming out. She talks a little bit about that. And so, uh, you know, maybe we'll have her back to talk more. But man, there's just this is just a, a really packed episode. And so I know that you're going to truly enjoy it. Before we jump into that interview, I want to touch on a couple of things. If you're listening to this podcast, maybe Monday morning on your way to work and you really not you're not a person who looks at the news and pays attention to the news, you know, there were some big developments over the weekend. So there was a drone strike or what people are saying or drone a drone strike uh, in Saudi Arabia and it hit or knocked out about half of the Saudi Arabian production of oil, which they say is about 5% of, uh, you know, of the market, right, of the world global supply. And so, of course, that's going to, you think 5% is not a big deal, but they're already saying it's going to send ripple effects. And when you're looking at, you know, things that you see online, there's all kinds of things already going on. And, uh, you know, I've been monitoring Twitter and they're talking about, you know, gas going up and stock prices and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's one of those things that we talk about that it has it has an effect, although it's happening way over there. And it's something, you know, people start talking about the price of oil. And of course, we know that that would affect us if we're, you know, in our at the gas pump. But then we, you know, it's affecting the stock market. Some of us will say, well, you know, I don't, get, I don't have anything in the stock market. You know what? What does it really truly matter to me? Well, it does affect us at some point. And so, you know, all those things, you know, all the the prices, all the things get passed on to us at some point. So that's one reason why I always say stay prepped and aware. So this morning on the way to church. Uh, for those of you that know, you know, I go ahead and record on or the Monday podcast on Sunday night, right? I have it ready for you on Monday. And so I'm putting this together, putting the finishing touches on this. And, uh, you know, on the way to church, I was listening to a video and I thought it was something else. Somebody had linked to it or posted it. And I thought it was actually something else, but this guy was, it was already conspiracy theories about what was going on. And so, I mean, he was linking everything in the Middle East. He was linking everything with, you know, the stock market. And I'm like, come on, man, really? I mean, you've got all these things. I could, I was just imagining it, you know, on some kind of wall with all these lines going to each other and, and interconnected. And I know there's a lot of people that probably believe that. And maybe to some point it is true. But there's going to be a lot of talk about that. There's going to be a lot of speculation, a lot of things going on. I think it's just important, though, that we know what's going on and so that we can prepare ourselves. And again, this is one of those things where I'm always saying be prepped and aware, be paying attention to what is going on on the global scene, things that can affect us where we are, even if it seems like it's so, so far away. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention, you know, be paying attention, you know, be on the lookout and, uh, you know, definitely I'll be posting things on Prepper website. Uh, if you want to go to some alternative news sites, you can go over to the Alt News Hub over on Prepper website. You go to the right hand corner, the little drop down menu and visit Alt News Hub. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of information on this as we go out through through this week, right? And so um, I, I believe we'll see a lot more. This isn't going to be uh, just the weekend thing. I think we're gonna we're gonna hear a lot more. So uh, enough about that. One more thing that I want to talk about before we get to the interview. Last week I mentioned the off the grid 
super stack. And what that is, is a bundle of preparedness e-courses, e-books, memberships, uh, you know, all a bunch of different things that they come together and they bundle it together for uh, one low price. And I mentioned it last week because it was going to start on Tuesday and I'm mentioning it again here. So I'm hoping that you will listen to it, listen to this podcast on Monday or even Tuesday because the Superstack goes away on Tuesday evening at midnight. So if you wanted to go take a look at it, don't delay, go check it out. There's a lot of great stuff in there. You know, one of the things that's different than a lot of other bundles that I've seen is I know a lot of the people that are in this bundle. A lot of the people that have contributed to this bundle are people that I respect and people that I know in the preparedness community, even including Daisy. Daisy has a workbook in this bundle. And I mean, I have my ebook in there as well. And so there's a lot of people from the preparedness community that, that you will recognize that are in this bundle for a low, low price, right? And you get all these different things, definitely about food storage. You know, Daisy's going to be talking about food storage and canning. There's a lot of canning information in here and food storage. Uh, definitely a course on building your own solar generator and a lot of gardening, uh, you know, survival skills, not tying. There's just a lot of information here. So I would recommend just go, at least go take a look at it. Go look at all the stuff that's there and see if that's something that you would want to purchase because it's a lot of good information that you can work through to increase your preparedness. So I just wanted to, to let you know that goes away on Tuesday evening, September 17th at midnight that bundle just they shut it down and so uh, i wish they wouldn't do that kind of stuff i'm not one of those people that i understand why they they do timers and all that kind of stuff they want to make sure they they put that urgency in there because if you don't feel that it's an urgent purchase then you're not going to buy it and uh, I, i'm one of those just like i i'd rather just have it out there and if you want it you get it but they do put this time on it and it expires on uh, on Tuesday night at you know midnight and so anyway just wanted to throw that out to you if you are interested in that there's a lot of preparedness a lot of good stuff there all right so with that let's go ahead and jump into our interview with Daisy Luther of the organic prepper I know you're going to really truly enjoy this one so let's get started hey Daisy thanks so much for joining us here on the prepper website podcast Hi, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and so I really, I'm really excited to have you on because we have known each other, I guess, in the preparedness space for a long time. We've emailed each other back and forth, but never really had a conversation, never been able to talk like this. So I'm kind of excited for what we're, we're going to handle here today. Me too. It, we've, I think we've been writing back and forth for at least five years. So it's nice to finally have a chat. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, and here's the thing. All my listeners are very familiar with you because I talk about the organic prepper all the time, read your articles all the time on Prepper website. Back when I was doing it five times uh, a week, I at least had one organic prepper article every single week. So people are very familiar with you. That is awesome. Thank you for that. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into the podcast here. My, my first question is, I know a lot of your story, but a lot of my listeners might not. And so uh, let's kind of start there. It seems like the life experiences that you've had, sh you know, shaped your preparedness and helped you realize that preparedness is important. So can you tell us a little bit about how you started in the preparedness space? Well, absolutely. When I first started, I had no idea what preparedness was. Um, I had just had my first daughter. She was about a month old and my husband lost his job. He came home when she was a month old and just said, you're not going to believe this, but I've lost my job. And, you know, with the way unemployment works and the fact that there weren't a lot of jobs around for his skill set, we went two months without any money coming in. And at that point, I had a big jar of peanut butter and I had some bagels. I had like seven or eight packages of bagels that I bought on sale in our freezer and a garden that was just giving us a little bit of broccoli and that was it. And a one month old baby. And it was just a horrible, horrible stretch of time because even once his unemployment came in, it took about four months for him to find a job. 
unemployment is only like, I think 40% or 60% of your usual pay. So it definitely wasn't very much. And so that's when I really started to embrace extreme frugality. And I thought, you know, like Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind holding that carrot, I'm never going to be hungry again. <laughs> and so I began to just, you know, stock up on things when they were on sale. And I didn't think of it at that point as prepping. So then as time went on, I became a single parent. And at this point, I had two daughters. And um, we did not have a lot of money, um, especially, you know, shortly after my, my marriage broke up. And we had to be incredibly frugal then. And it was during that time, within a month of of us moving out that there was this this huge blackout over the whole east coast and up into ontario canada that lasted for 10 days and all of our stuff that was in the freezer spoiled of course and you know we had plenty of food but we had no way to cook it and we didn't have any kind of preps whatsoever we just had food and toilet paper and all of that and that's when i thought oh you know what i think there's something else that i need to be adding to this and so that's when i started to get into what is more um, preparedness, you know, with the candles and the flashlights and the, the different ways to store food. And so then from there on, you know, we all have ups and downs in our lives. So I worked in the automotive industry and there were layoffs every couple of years that lasted three months generally, but those were really tight times when I was laid off. And I had stocked up enough to see us through that, that, you know, my unemployment during those times went to pay the mortgage and the utilities, and we didn't have to shop for food at all, you know, for three months at a time. And that was just, I, it, it saved our butter, let me tell you. And so, you know, since then, I've, I've really expanded more into food preservation. We had a homestead for a while. We lived in a cabin in the woods for a while. We've just done a lot of cool things to make us better prepared as a family. Awesome. So the transition from living that life, that normal American life that you, that you had uh, when you were married and then with your kids, and then feeling that need to be frugal and not, not the need, but you really out of necessity to be yeah. frugal and then being a single mom and all of that. What kind of transition was that for you? I mean, was it hard? Was it a, a big mental shift or, or what was that like? There was a mental shift because I grew up in a pretty well-to-do family. My dad was a doctor. My mom was home with me. Um, so there was definitely a, a disconnect between me and frugality when it first started out. But I got these really cool books at a library sale by Amy Decision, and they were the Tightwad Gazettes 1, 2, and 3. Mm -hmm. And those completely changed my life. Um, I'm actually dedicating my next book to Amy, even though I've never met her and she doesn't know who I am. Um, I'm dedicating my frugality book to her because those three books changed everything for me. They completely changed the way I looked at money, at stocking up on necessities, at reusing things and, you know, pinching a penny until it squeals. That's, so, that's funny yeah. that you mentioned her because I remember, I think I was introduced to her. Uh, there was, um, Good Morning America or something like that, right? And she right. was on there and they're talking about their extreme living and the way that they did things. And I went out and bought her book and uh, I still remember that. I mean, that was, that was crazy thinking back then, but man, it really does help you, you know, change the way that you're thinking and, and live a little bit different. It does. It does. And, you know, she has inspired a lot of people. And I hope that I've kind of helped spread her ideas a little bit and introduced her to other people because that was life changing. When I found that everything fell into place. And, you know, when I became a single mom, I think maybe it was a little less difficult for me because I knew how to handle money at that point. So, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as bad for me. I didn't have a great job. I was a telemarketer. I can't believe I even admitted that on the air, but I was a telemarketer because that was the only job I could get. Um, and it paid better than everything else because who wants to do that? Um, but I was only making $10 an hour to, you know, raise my kids at that one point. And, you know, then 
things got better, but that's the thing that people have to remember. You've got your good financial stages and your bad financial stages. And I don't think there are too many people these days, especially where it's always smooth sailing. There are a few, of course, but I think for most of us, it's like sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. Very true. And it's the preparedness that helps you and the mindset and the, the ability or the things that you put back in, in place that help you to get through those, you know, those financial situations, those financial times when it's slow. Because I mean, what, you know, you've gone through other times as well, where I, I've heard you, I've, you know, I've read that you have mentioned this before, where, you know, fi finances are a little tight. Sometimes, you know, things are better than others. And you know, the ability to be prepared or having, having this, you know, food storage and all that kind of stuff has really helped you in the, in the long run to get through those times. Oh, definitely. I mean, it would take us a long time to go hungry. We might get down to the things that we're really not that crazy about eating, but it would take a long time for us to be to the point where we didn't have anything to eat. All right. Well, I think that's a good transition for this next question because um, you've done a lot of articles and you've written a lot of books on food storage, right? Yeah. And, and so talk to us a little bit about food storage from a, a few different perspectives, right? The new prepper, where, you know, where should they start? And then the prepper who has cans and other long-term food uh, that's already been purchased, maybe those who are ready to start canning or dehydrating food. I mean, what, you know, what, can you talk to us a little bit about those, those different Absolutely. extremes? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I recommend in my newest book, it's uh, called Prepper's Pantry. Um, and if you've already got um, the pantry primer, Prepper's Pantry is just an updated version of that. You don't necessarily need to go buy it, but it's got pretty pictures in it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, in that book, I talk about um, the, the way that I shop. And this is a really good way for new people to transition into getting a little bit of extra food. Um, basically, you want to stock up to the point where you can go a week without going to the grocery store. And at that point, when you can go, you've gotten enough shelf-stable food and all of that, that you can go a week without going to the grocery store. Then you can begin to make bulk purchases, like the 20-pound bags of rice, or, you know, even bigger purchases, you know, a case of something. Or you can go a couple of weeks and maybe buy a side of beef, maybe not a side of beef, maybe a quarter of beef to put in your freezer. Um, but the point is you don't want to have to sit there worrying about going outside your normal grocery budget. You just want to start shopping in a different way where you're using more shelf-stable food and everything is not fresh. Um, and I know everybody preaches fresh food is the only way to go. You need your fruits and vegetables and your gallon of milk and your bread and all of that kind of stuff. But if you want to build a stockpile, you need to kind of mix it up. Maybe, you know, have a few things that are fresh that your kids, if they love bananas with breakfast, you know, have a few things that are fresh, but start adding in those shelf-stable versions too, so that you can go one to two weeks a month without going to the grocery store. And when you start doing that, you're building up kind of a reservoir of cash. If you spend, let's just say $150 a week at the grocery store. I used to say $50 a week, but the price of food has gone up so oh, much exactly. that you can't get anything for that. So let's say your budget is $150 a week. Um, if you can go two weeks out of a month without spending anything for groceries, you've got $300 to spend on bulk purchases. And that's pretty cool. I also recommend you get at least one of those buckets of freeze-dried meals. Just throw it in the back of your closet, leave it sealed up. You don't have to use it unless times are really, really bad. But those, you just have to be able to boil water and you've got, you know, a month worth of meals for one person. So, you know, that's another thing to just add one of those buckets for each member of your family. It's not going to be gourmet food. 
but it will get you through a real rough spot and you don't have to do any repackaging. You don't have to do anything to it. It only takes boiling water. So if you can afford it, I always recommend you do that. If you can't, then you just keep doing that grocery shopping method where at least one week a month you are not buying groceries and you're spending that to build your stockpile. And pretty soon you're going to find that you really only need to go for groceries once a month. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's a good recommendation, right? I know people that go to the grocery store every single evening to get yes. whatever they need for, for dinner. And I'm like, that's just not smart. I mean, you're going to wind up spending more money that way and you don't have oh, yeah. real food storage at all when you, when you do. Well, you know, that's a very um, like New York big city kind of thing is to go to the market and get fresh ingredients for that day. And I have a lot of readers from the city that like to do that. And, you know, you're not going to persuade people who do that not to do that. But what I always tell them to do, it's even more important for them to get those freeze-dried buckets than it is for, you know, someone who's got a pantry full of canned goods. You know, you just want to have something on hand so that, um, if there's an emergency and the lights go out, you're still going to be able to eat. So yeah, I, I recommend going to the grocery store as little as possible. I order a lot of my bulk stuff off of Amazon. It's got free shipping if it's a prime item and it's delivered right to your door. You're not tempted by anything else. I, I think it's a great way to buy food. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. So when, when is someone ready for canning? You know, you start, you, you've written books on canning. Yes. When are you, when is someone ready to start canning and maybe dehydrating food? Anything, anytime they've got more than they can eat. If they've got more food than they can eat before it goes bad, that's time to start canning and dehydrating. I am much more of a canner than a dehydrator. Um, just because canning is very scientific, you know, you have to reach a certain temperature for a certain amount of time or a certain pressure. And then if you do this correctly, you know, your food is going to be good. Dehydration to me, I do dehydrate some things, but I just dehydrate them until they are brittle enough that I can just turn them into a powder to add to food. And I know a lot of people love dehydrating. I've just always been so leery of botulism that I don't do a whole lot of dehydrating. I do a little bit, but not a lot. Um, you know, we get like a bushel of apples at a time. I'll can applesauce and apple pie filling and then I'll dehydrate apple chips, but those don't last long in my house. My, my kids eat those within <laughs> a day, half the time, you know, you've spent 20 hours dehydrating these and they <laughs> inhale them in 10 minutes. But anytime you've got something extra, don't let it go bad. I've, there's so much food wasted in this country because it sits there at the back of our fridge. So once a week we go through our fridge and we pull out the stuff that is going to be iffy if it sits there any longer and we either can it or dehydrate it or put it in the freezer. So what would you, you know, some people are leery, you know, back in the day, everybody canned, right? I mean, at least that yes. was the, the idea, but today it's not, it's not that big of a, of a practice. What would you say to someone who is a little scared of, you know, blowing up their house or something? You know, that is everyone's first fear. I, I felt the <laughs> same way when I began pressure canning, I was terrified. I wouldn't do it until my kids were at school because I thought that way, if it blows up, at least the kids will be okay. I locked the dogs in a bedroom and <laughs> um, I, you know, very cautiously proceeded to do my thing. And pressure canning is noisy. The little doohickey on the top makes all sorts of racket and it whistles and it hisses and I mean it makes a lot of noise but after you've done it once you're going to feel so much more comfortable with it and um, most counties have a county extension office and they usually offer master canning classes and I recommend going to one of those now those aren't always the best teachers, but it's, it's a good way to get started. Sometimes they're overly cautious and they scare people to death. Um, the other good way is to get my book, The Prepper's Canning Guide. I've got extremely, extremely detailed instructions on water bath canning and pressure canning um, in that book. And I mean, 
when I say detail, it's like five pages each. So it's very step-by-step, but don't be scared of it. There are only a couple of reasons that you're going to have your pressure canner blow up. First of all, if you've got, you know, you, there's a little spout that you put the little, I can't think of it, the little weight on top of. Yeah. So before you start canning, you check that spout and you make sure it's clear and that things can get out. As long as that's clear, you're good. The other thing, the other way that people hurt themselves is that they um, try to force the lid to come off. So when you're finished canning, um, you take your canner. If you if your canners are heavy, especially when they're full of quarts and quarts of food. So if you can move it, you move it to a burner that hasn't been on to let it start cooling, and you leave it for you know, 45 minutes to an hour and you just watch the pressure on your gauge go down. You should not try to remove anything until that is at zero. If you try to move the little weight and it gives you any resistance at all, there's still pressure in there. So just leave it alone. And I mean, you can leave it alone for hours and it's not going to hurt anything. I used to um, go pick my kids up from school and, uh, you know, that would take about an hour, hour and a half round trip and then take my jars out. But it's not going to hurt the jars at all to stay in the canner longer. Um, it's when you try to force the lid off. You know, you've seen those pictures of like the lids flying into the ceiling. It's because they did it wrong. It's because they tried to force the lid off. So as long as you don't force anything, you're going to be just fine when you pressure can. All right. That, that's great advice. Great. And what was the name of your book that details that it's again? The Prepper's Canning Guide. Awesome. Okay, great. So it's sticking with food storage because that's such a big deal, right? Um, it how, is. What would you recommend to someone to start evaluating their food storage? I mean, you've talked a little bit about where to start, but you know, if if you were going into someone's house and you, you know, or you were trying to help them to understand, you know, how do you evaluate your food storage as far as how it would meet their needs? What would you say to them? Well, you know, there are so many variables. Um, and it always depends on what kind of event has occurred. Um, you know, there are a lot of events. You're just going to be snowed in and you're going to be sitting there in front of your fireplace drinking cocoa. And you're not going to be out there exerting a lot of energy. However, if there has been a hurricane or something like that, you may have to get out and, you know, be cutting trees with a chainsaw to be able to get out of your driveway. So um, they have all sorts of food storage cal calculators, but it is not an exact science. If you're out there burning thousands of calories a day, growing your food or hunting your food or foraging for food or, you know, rebuilding your house, then you're going to be a lot hungrier than you are right now when you sit at a desk at an office all day. So that is, you know, it's, it's just not an exact science. I like to say, look at how you eat right now stock up for, you know, however long you feel comfortable with, a month, six months, a year, for how you eat right now, and then start adding high calorie things like coconut oil or different kinds of like protein shakes, that that kind of stuff. Start adding some high calorie stuff to your stockpile that you can add to the meals you already have. Okay, good. Good advice. So I often hear from people that just can't afford to build up their food storage. They're like, Todd, I'm on a fixed income. I cannot do food storage. Um, you've lived that frugal life and, and you have done it in times when it was good and bad. You know, what were some of your tips and tricks that you could well, share? The method that I talked about before, um, making it just part of your grocery bill, whatever your grocery bill is, put at least 10% of it toward shelf stable food. So if your grocery bill is $100, then spend $10 buying 10 packages of dry pasta. You know, just eke out that 10% if you can at all. There are times that you truly, truly cannot buy anything except what you need to get by. And 
you know, for those times, sometimes you're going to have to visit a food bank and that's not for building up your food storage. That's for survival. Um, you're going to have to visit a food bank or something like that. Like if times are so tight that you absolutely cannot buy extra food, um, you can also make some shifts to the type of food you buy, um, you know, to getting more of the shelf stable food. So that you're still using part of that grocery bill to cover you for, you know, maybe just an extra week would be all you need. I mean, it's so difficult. The other thing you can do is look around your house, find something that you could sell on Craigslist or eBay or something like that. Um, there are a lot of ways to come up with a little bit of extra money. However, there are people who have they've done everything. I mean, really, everybody likes to say our economy is just moving right along, but I know a lot of people that are more broke than they have ever been. So, you know, it, it isn't right to say everybody can afford this because, you know, I've been in positions where I couldn't afford a $5 purchase. Um, you know, you've just got to do what you can and that may not be very much. If you live in a place where you can forage, that might be a way that you can put back a little extra food or have a little extra food so that you can buy some extra food. Um, if, you know, your family hunts, that might also get you some, I like to call it free food. It's not really free because of all the processing and all that kind of stuff that you got to do. But, um, you know, you just got to be really creative if you're on a super tight budget. Do you do um, or recommend a lot of couponing or um, do you look at sales pages and hit five different stores in a weekend? Uh, generally not um, because most of the time, I, I don't know, our, our situation is better than it, it used to be. Our stockpile is pretty big now. So I usually, I do look at the flyers and I just pick the store that has the most stuff that I want on sale. Okay. And, you know, places like Aldi's and Little, those are always great. You can get a lot of good stuff for cheap there. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, there's always those those grocery stores that have better deals in certain things. So if you can mm -hmm. time it, if you could, you know, out when you're running errands. I mean, going back to the Tightwad Gazette, right? That was one of the things. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're running errands or you're going into the city, make sure you do a couple of different things you know, just as you're spending that gas going in and doing that. So exactly. All right. Exactly. So let, let me give you an SHTF question. If you knew that okay. it was coming tomorrow or you saw signs, what would you do uh, to make your food storage last longer for you and your family? Is there anything that you would do? Yeah. The first thing I would do is I would take everything that is in the fridge and freezer and preserve it. I would can it, dehydrate it, do whatever I could do to preserve it so that it wouldn't go bad. And that would add, you know, I'm thinking at least a few weeks worth of extra food. Um, that's the first thing that you should do if you know something bad is coming down the pipe is to freeze all that meat you've got in the freezer um, or can it, I'm sorry, you should can all of that meat that you have in the freezer. Or if you've got like a harvest right freeze dryer, you should get that thing working, but you should get busy preserving your food in ways that are shelf stable because your event may or may not take out the power. But if it does take out the power, you don't want to lose all that food. I mean, first of all, you're losing a lot of money with that. And secondly, it's going to, just be a nasty, rotten, smelly mess that you have to get rid of without any city services. So you want to preserve that. That's the number one thing I would do. That's, that's a good, good idea. And I've talked about, you know, being in Houston, we, you know, we had Harvey, we, we always have hurricanes coming. A lot of people can't afford a big generator, but you can afford an inverter that you connect to your, to your car. Yes. And you can, you know, if you don't can or whatever, you can, you know, connect your refrigerator for a couple of hours at a time to keep things cold. But right. we have done that before too. During, during Harvey, we have eaten all the stuff in the freezer. I mean, we just kind of, you know, we didn't want that to go to waste. And as much as we could right. preserve it with ice and coolers and stuff, we did that. But yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I don't even recommend generators for long-term prepping because where are you going to get the gas to run that stuff? Unless you've got like an underground tank that holds hundreds and hundreds of gallons, that is just going to be a thousand dollar paperweight within two weeks. Right. 
So, you know, a lot of my readers are on a budget. I, if you're on a tight budget, spend that money on shelf stable food instead of a generator and just start looking for more low tech ways to get by. That's good. Good advice there. All right. So back to the idea of being able to afford prepping and using your money wisely. What other things do you do, not necessarily connected to food storage, but what other things do you do live more frugally? Well, um, we walk a lot instead of driving the car. And that doesn't sound like much, but when you are constantly using your car for everything, um, you know, it takes you down from one tank of gas a week or two tanks of gas a week to one. And, you know, that's 20 bucks a week right there that you save. Um, We try to be really frugal with our air conditioner. We live in an old house that has window units. So we just like hang out in one room and shut the door and use only that air conditioner. We don't try to cool the whole house. Um, We just try to cool the rooms that we're we're in and that makes a massive difference Uh, yeah so it's just it's honestly the little things it's reusing things instead of replacing them um it's you know just making less trash and using things uh, to the absolute last degree you can yeah i think we've gotten to the point in it where we just we're a consumer society and it's just so easy to throw out that thing that you know i talked a little bit about you know, working on a, a lamp and you know, fixing a mm-hmm. lamp as opposed to just going to Walmart and buying another one or, you know, ordering it from Amazon. Um, we don't do that very much uh, in today's society because it's just so much easier to go out yeah. and spend that money. Yeah. And, you know, it costs you a lot more. The sad thing is often the parts to repair something cost more than getting a new one. And that's part of the reason people do get new ones. But I um, try to get things that can be repaired as often as possible instead of little funky digital kinds of things. I, I don't like lots of, lots of technology. I mean, I like having a phone and a computer, but that's good for me. I don't want um, a Nest or any of those Alexas or anything like that. <laughs> you don't want the government listening in on you? Come on. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you know, one of the things about the articles that you write, I mean, you, you write a bunch of preparedness, but you also write about current events. And so as someone who's paying attention to what's going on in our economy and the politics and all the other hot topic issues that are out there, where do you think we're headed? You know, it's, things can change at the drop of a hat, but it's really, really not looking good. I think this next election is going to be the most harshly fought in our lifetime and that the results of the next election are going to have extremely long-term results for the United States. Um, You know, I am neither a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not really... um, into voting, honestly, I, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, a friendly anarchist, you know, not the kind that goes and burns things down, but the kind that says, I'll do my thing and you do your thing. Um, but this next election is going to dramatically change the world. If President Trump is reelected, I, I think all heck is going to break loose. Um, I really thought it was last time and it did slightly, but people have had four years to build up tension toward President Trump. And I think it's going to be ugly if he wins again. And I think there's a good chance he will because the Democrats really haven't put forth anyone who is moderate enough for lots of people. I mean, I don't think most of America is extreme right wing or extreme left wing. I think most of us are somewhere in the middle, leaning slightly toward one side. So I don't think there's anyone in this democratic race that, um, that the media is promoting, um, that is moderate enough to get elected. Um, the, the two people that I thought, or, well, the person I thought that was the most interesting was the lady from Hawaii. And I don't think she has uh, polled high enough to get into any other debates. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, that's her name. Yeah. I kind of like her. Um, I thought she spoke a lot of common sense. Um, but the rest of them, I just think 
that uh, pool is is a hot mess. And the, the Democrats are going to have to do better than that if they want someone else in office besides President Trump. I mean, it's just going to be ugly. I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people um, think that as well. What do you think about the economy? And I mean, we had, a, you know, recently we we're recording this in, in mid-September um, a couple of weeks ago. We had the, you know, the stock market was kind of going down. Silver shot up tremendously, uh, more than it had been in, you know, like two years. And I just, you know, I think people are, are maybe paying a little bit more attention. We keep hearing, like you said earlier, the economy is really good. But those of us on Main Street aren't really feeling it. We're going to the grocery store and we're seeing, you know, the, the high prices at the grocery store. So The economy is really good if you're already wealthy. Yeah. The economy is not good if you're in the middle class, especially like mid to lower middle class. Um, a high middle class, if you're up there with, you know, mid six figures, you're going to do, you're doing okay. But the rest of us who aren't making that kind of money, we are absolutely seeing um, prices go up and our wages not meeting those prices. Our wages are not going up at the same rate. And that's making things more and more difficult. Housing is nearly impossible to afford. I mean, it's just crazy, the um, expense of buying or renting a home. Um, well, you know, on, on that note, when you were talking about that, I, I believe, I think we're going to start seeing this more and more, where you're going to have multifamilies in one home, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you see that in, you know in the Houston area, we have there's a lot of you know immigrants and all that kind of stuff, and you'll see that in different pockets of of the Houston area where there's multiple families living in one. But I don't think that's just going to be for immigrants anymore. I think that's going to be for everybody. You're going to have grandparents living with yeah. you. You're going to have your kids li living with you because they can't afford it out there. You know that's going to be one of the things people. I, I I bet there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are in that same boat right now that they're that they're dealing with that. Absolutely, absolutely. We live in southwestern Virginia, and our neighbor on one side has her father living with her and her son living with her. Our neighbors on the other side is a young couple with um, two sets of parents living with them. Uh, it is happening more and more, and like we don't live in like some little hick town like we live in a, a pretty good sized city and we're seeing it everywhere we're seeing it everywhere you know back to that election and the future if someone who is a democrat wins there is going to be a massive massive push for um gun control like even more than there is right now. And Selco's article on my website today talks about how that might go, and it's pretty darn scary. Um, it, it talks about an SHTF that lasts for a year before people even realize that it's actually happened. And that's what we'll be facing. You know, I mean, it's either, either party. America is not going to win. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot. The, the thing is, is that when you start seeing little moves, right, people talk about gun confiscation, and they immediately think soldiers coming to your, you know, or UN soldiers coming to your, uh, to your door or whatever, you know, who, however that happens. But it, it's not really the way that it works. It's little moves, little by little, that that get get to the point where, you know, by the time you realize it, hey, this has happened. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what um, Selko wrote about. And he said the reason he thinks that this can happen is because he watched it happen right before everything broke loose in the Balkans. This was exactly what happened. They took away guns. The same thing happened in Venezuela. Yeah. Um, Jose is our writer from Venezuela. And he told us that within two years of everything hitting the fan there. Um, people had to turn in their guns to get them registered and then just never got them back. Like you had, there was a law and you had to take your gun to the police department and let them, you know, write down the serial number and register it to you. And then they just never saw their guns again. Wow. And that happened two years before it was really obvious that Venezuela was circling the drain.
Do you think Americans are a little bit more savvy on that? You know, we would like to think that we are. And, you know, Selko said in his articles, you're all going to say this can't happen here. But a right is not an engraved in stone kind of thing. It's only your right as long as you have it. And, you know, that, that sounds, I guess, kind of silly to say it like that. But, you know, the Constitution is a wonderful thing as long as it's in effect. But there are so many different ways that the people can just mow right over it. I mean, you can't tell me the TSA is not an unconstitutional group. You know, I getting on a plane does not make me a criminal, yet I'm treated like one. They are searching me without any due cause. So we only have our rights as long as we have them. Very true. Very true. A lot too. And I'm glad you went back to the Democrat, if the Democrats, you know, win. And I, you know, that's one of the things, you know, um, we talked about in preparedness. I've I've mentioned it a lot of times on the podcast where we saw when, when uh, Trump won that we started seeing, you know, uh, not as much, I guess, uh, movement in the preparedness community. I mean, I, I started seeing, uh, some of the analytics come down. I mean, it's still people are still hitting the website, and and uh, you know, of course, the the people listening to the podcast is always going up. But I think a lot of people have noticed that it, they, people started relaxing because we have a quote unquote Republican president in, and so things are are completely better. But you know, Trump has done some things that I'm like, I can't believe you said that or you've done that. That doesn't fall in line with what you know most people would think and there's still people will defend them to the you know to the to the very very end and i'm kind of like you when it comes to politics i'm kind of over it i think that the, <laughs> the best the best moves are always done at a local level you know at the local level 100 percent. yeah that's that's where people know what they need right and so when we have exactly. people in washington or whatever making decisions for us that's that's not smart. We we need that the power at the local level so that we can do what's best for for the citizens at that level. And then if the people don't like it, then go move to another to another state. Exactly. Another you know, when I lived in Northern California, I lived in the country. I had a homestead. I knew tons of other homesteaders. We had a big group of about 2,000 of us. And, you know, we bartered and traded and um, did classes. Um, All you had to do was bring a homemade good to um, attend a class, you know, to learn how to do something. And we were not represented by the representatives in California. We weren't represented represented by the people in Sacramento or San Francisco or Los Angeles. We were country folks who lived out in the mountains and, you know, had a pig roast or something. Um, it, yeah, local is really where it's at. And, you know, everybody has these grand ideas about their preparedness group that's all going to meet in the mountains of Montana at this cabin. Your preparedness group is your neighbors. It's just like that. And pretty much anyone who has been through a chaotic event will tell you if you and your family live far away or your friends that are going to be in the group live far away, you don't really have a group. Your group is the people who live right beside you. Exactly. You know, I hear from a lot of people all the time, trying their people trying to find a group, you know, and if there was ever, I guess, a, a preparedness dating, you know, group or whatever, yep. you know, if that ever panned out, that person would make a lot of money because people are always looking for that. But that it, it never, everybody that I've ever talked to that was in a group, eventually it fell apart because you had maybe the guys were interested in it. And, you know, they brought their families along. They, they forced their families to be involved. Yes. And, and then it, just, it just, you know, broke apart. And it was like someone didn't get along with someone and they're coming from different points of view. So I'm glad you said that because that is a thing in the preparedness community that everybody wants. But that's really one of those myths that we really have to start backing off of um, and, and start thinking about our neighbors. And I'm right with you on that. I think that's the most important thing. You need to know your neighbors. You, can, you need to get to know them. And, you know, they might be weird, whatever, but, you know, at least build a relationship with them to a point where 
you know, if things started going downhill, you, you at least already know them. Right. And so yes. there's that aspect. And, and we need to stop thinking in terms of preppers because there are all sorts of people with all sorts of useful skills that might not consider themselves preppers. Maybe you have a neighbor with a great vegetable garden or a neighbor with an orchard or a neighbor with bees or a neighbor who's really good at fixing things. Um, there you've got to look at the skills as opposed to always looking for someone who's a prepper. They may not be, they may not have a big stockpile, but if they're a doctor, you're going to want them on your side. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's something really important that people miss is they miss all these great people. Like most of the homesteaders that I hung out with in California were not preppers, but they, did the same kinds of things I did. They were raising their own food. They had shotguns to defend their, their livestock. Uh, they had big dogs, you know, we could have come together and worked together, but they weren't preppers, not at all. And everybody doesn't have to be a prepper. It's the skills that you're interested in or that you should be interested in. That's good. Good, good point there. All right. So to finish off this little part here, any other top, hot topics that you, I know that you've talked about pandemics a lot. Are there any other hot topics though that maybe um, might, you know, that you're paying attention to? Um, I'm definitely paying attention to the gun control thing because that's going to cause a lot of chaos. Uh, I'm definitely paying attention to the uh, Antifa thing um, because that has the potential to cause a lot of chaos. Um, those are the two big things in the news that I'm watching out for. Also that chronic wasting disease with deer, the zombie deer disease, that is a pretty scary kind of thing too. Um, those are things that I think watching in the news is really important. And then I would say the other really important thing that I like to tell people is that you need to prep wherever you are right now. Stop worrying about this um, dream homestead that you're just going to wait and prep when you get there. You need to prep where you are right now. You can successfully be prepared to survive um, in a city, in a suburb, out in the country, no matter where you are, if you have the right skill set and the right, um, you know, the ability to go find resources, then you're going to be okay. But you can't just wait for this, this dream world, this perfect world. You have to work with the world that you have right now. Um, I go back again to Selco and Jose. Jose lived in the suburbs. And, you know, they had a really, really rough time down there in Venezuela. But he had things in place. He was an engineer by trade. So he had things in place at his home in the suburbs with, you know, just this tiny little patch of a backyard that helped them survive for longer. Selco was in a large city and um, he and his family all moved together into one house and had each other's backs there. And he did not lose a close family member when it hit the fan in Bosnia. So it doesn't matter where you are. Sure, there are probably better locations, but nobody's got the perfect location. And people who live out in the country will have to worry about, you know, people wanting to take their wonderful retreat. If it's that great, other people are going to want it. So no place is perfect. Stop worrying about perfect and just worry about where you are right now. Good. That's good advice there. Well, and that really segues to my final question for you, because you've mentioned before that you, you definitely don't fit the typical prepper stereotype, you know? No. Uh, we were talking a little bit about that before when we actually started recording. What would you say to people, or what would you say to people who feel that in order to prepare, you have to be a homesteader or a bushcrafter or, you know, an expert in wilderness survival, all those things that back in the day, maybe 10, 15 years ago, that's, that pretty much was what people thought about when they thought about preparedness. Um, but it's completely, there's a different mindset. I mean, what would you say to those people? Um, I would say you can live virtually any type of lifestyle as long as you pay attention. For example, I travel a lot and that is, it's just something that I've 
always, always done. Um, I drove around the country with my youngest daughter for homeschool. We did a three-month road trip around the country. And people said, aren't you just terrified to be out without your preps? Well, no, I'm not terrified because I do have quite a few skills and I'm a smart person and I can make friends easily. And so if it hits the fan, I we may not be at our homestead when it hits the fan. We may be at work. We may be at a doctor's appointment two hours away from home. So while I do suggest that everybody preps and builds a big stockpile, you may not get a chance to use it. Your, your survival, your SHTF may be totally different than the one that you planned for. So if, you know, something were to happen when I go to Athens, Greece, then I'm going to have to figure out how to survive in Athens, Greece. You just have to be flexible in your thinking and you have to think about surviving, like I said, where you're at at the moment. So, for example, I always, um, you know, look for water sources. I go to a hotel if I'm traveling overseas. Obviously, I'm not packing. I can't carry my Glock. Um, I always search the hotel room for weapons. What can I use as a weapon in this room? You know, I could clock someone with an iron. I can get a knife from the kitchenette. Like, there are always weapons that you can use. Um, you just have to be savvy and you have to figure out how to work within your circumstances. Good. All right. That's, that's good. I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people because I think people get this idea like, Hey, I have to, in order to be prepared, I have to do this. I have to do that. And I think that's, that's always, you know, I always mention that on the podcast, but it's, I think it's helpful to hear it from someone else as well that, uh, that says the same thing. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe the amount of hate mail I get for saying, you know what, if you're planning to go to a concert or you're planning to go to a baseball game or you're planning to go to go on a cruise, go. Just be prepared, but go. You got to live your life. I do not believe. I know some people don't like to travel, don't like crowds. You know, I'm not talking to those people. If you don't enjoy going to these things, I'm not saying go force yourself. But if these are things you enjoy, you should live your life. You don't want to live in fear. That's not what this is all about. You just want to be alert and you want to have the skills you need to survive in a variety of situations. Awesome. I think most of us, if you know, it hits the fan for us, I think most of us are not going to be in an ideal circumstance. That's just how it is. That's, you know, Murphy's law. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I don't, I mean, there's only so many homesteads. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's that, you know, positive and negative to all of that, right? The pros and the cons. Exactly. And exactly. So you have to and wait. When there's like a natural disaster and you'll know this well after hurricane Harvey, it's like one thing happens and then it's a snowball effect. Um, with Harvey, first Houston flooded, which was really unusual. And all of these people who never expected to flood had a flood. And then just outside of Houston, those factories started blowing up. And I mean, it was one thing after another. And disasters are usually not just one little moment in time. They're usually a myriad of other smaller disasters happening at the same time. You're because right. of the first disaster. You're right. Yeah, they, they just, they start to pile up on each other. All right. Well, that's a, a lot of great information. And I appreciate you taking the time uh, to spend you know, here with us on, on the podcast. If people wanted to check out more, you know, I mean, of course, I always read articles from the Organic Pepper and I always, you know, link to that. But, you know, where can people find you to link up with you and to see what you're doing and to get more information from you? Um, well, mostly my website, theorganicprepper.com. I'm also on, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, um, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Although on Facebook, I mean, please like my page. That's really nice. But send me a friend request because you won't really see anything on my page because Facebook just doesn't show my page. So send me a friend request. I'm happy to accept and you know, we get to know each other a little bit on our timelines. Um, you know, if you're a Facebook person. So yeah, I mean, it's mostly the website. We also have a forum connected to our website. There's a button at the very top of the website that says forum and Selco and I run that forum together. Um, I, t I always ask people not to use 
your real name on that because we want that to be a very private place where we can talk about things. Awesome. So is the, the forum, did that come out of the need to have something else than social media? Yes, it did. It did because I have um, a group, like we're not accepting new members in the Facebook group anymore because we were getting a lot of trolls. I mean, just really crazy stuff like people coming in and insulting other members. So we finally just shut it and we have the members we have, but that group could get shut down at any moment, you know, because we're building our land on Mark Zuckerberg's or building our house on Mark Zuckerberg's land. Uh, so right. I don't really trust Facebook groups as a long-term solution. So yeah, that's why we opened the forum. And also, you know, for a little bit more privacy on Facebook, you've got your real name out there. You've got your pictures of your kids on your timeline. You don't necessarily want to be talking about preps on there. Yeah, that's good advice. Good advice. I think that's smart uh, that we need to have our own places where people can connect with us. That's why I'm always talking about, you know, joining the email list. And I'm sure you have an email list as well yes. that people can join and uh, get, you know, that way that's something that they can't take away, right? Um, right. It's, you can always, even if your, your website was shut down for whatever reason, you can still communicate with people. Well, maybe. I don't know. Um, did you see that thing about GreenMed Info? They shut his list down. Um, I back up my list every week. Wow. No, yeah. I, did, I didn't see that. He had over a million subscribers, and they shut it down because he talks about anti-vaccine stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you, you, nothing you, is really sacred. <laughs> no, nothing sacred. But it, I, I guess what I'm saying, it, it's it's – Easier to control than Facebook, right? Definitely. Uh, so you Definitely. can you can back up, you can download your email list, and then if you were shut down, you could move you know, somewhere else. Move somewhere else and bring that up again. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean it's it's crazy the the scene in social media these days. It really is. So I try to keep as much stuff under my control as possible. That's that's smart. I think that's you know, everybody should be thinking that way. All right. So you got books out there, you got the website, you got the forum, uh, the yeah. email list. So there's a lot of ways that people can connect with you. And I highly recommend that they do that. Um, any last words that you want to share with the podcast community? Um, well, I have two books that have just come out. Uh, one is Be Ready for Anything. And the other is Prepper's Pantry. And my next book is Not Your Mama's Frugal Living book. Oh, man, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Or maybe maybe when that one comes out, we will have to talk about that one. Definitely. Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Daisy. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Bye. All right. Again, thank you to Daisy Luther for coming and sharing all that helpful preparedness information. Man, there's just a lot of great stuff there. A lot of great advice from somebody who has lived it and has experienced it and really out of a need has done a lot of this, uh, you know, the preparation, the food storage, the learning how to can and uh, has just a lot of great knowledge. And she shares that, you know, every single day on theorganicprepper.com. You know that I read a lot of her articles. I've mentioned that already and I read her articles, but I want to just recommend again to go visit her website. Of course, I always link to her articles over at Prepper website as well. So again, thank you so much to Daisy. Guys, be looking out for her books. Um, she packs a lot of information into her books and she really truly, uh, you know, she marks them at a great price so that you don't wind up spending a, a, a ton of money and you get a great value. So be on the lookout for her next book that is coming out on frugality. I think that is going to be one of the, I, you know, I think as we go further and further along into the economy and the economy is just kind of like limping along, uh, you know, they'll say the stock market's doing great, but it's not really doing so great for those of us on Main Street. I mean, we feel it. I think more people are going to be looking for ways to be frugal. And so I think purchasing a book like that would be very helpful and to have that advice and ideas and some of the things that she talked about in this episode but then you know other ideas that she couldn't even you know touch because there's just so much out there so uh, definitely I'm going to link to the organic prepper in the show notes and so you can go straight over there go check out 
her website and uh, let her know that we you appreciate the fact that she took her time to come on the Prepper Website Podcast and share a little bit about her life and preparedness and how we can better prepare ourselves. Well, guys, that's it for episode 602. Again, thanks so much for hanging out with me on this episode. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You know, we are on all the major podcast networks. All you need to go, all you need to do is just open up your podcast catcher, search for the Prepper Website Podcast, and then add us. And then that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And if you're looking for more preparedness, you can head on over to PrepperWebsite.com. I have a link in the show notes, but you can go over to PrepperWebsite.com and we link to the best preparedness articles every single day. Somewhere between 8 to 12 articles on the front page of Prepper Website. And then we have pages, again, dedicated to specific things. And one of, one of the new ones really that I really got going here recently. I I did a little bit of work and got it up to, I guess I was having a speed issue, a page loading issue. I got totally homestead up. So I have the Alt News Hub, Firearms, if you're into DIY, into frugal living, even into conspiracy theories, there's pages for you. But now homesteading is there. And I got to tell you, if you are a webmaster, you own a website in uh, your your site is not on Prepper website, and maybe it fits into the homesteading uh, page. Let me know, man. I'll add it because I'm always looking for the best websites so that we can share the best preparedness information. So Prepper website is the place to go. If you are not signed up and connected with me through the email list, I would greatly appreciate it if you would do that because that's one way that I know that I I can always communicate with people, kind of like what we talked about here uh, with with Daisy on this episode. And I do exactly the same thing that she does. I download my email list every so often so that I always have that. And I know that that is one way that I can communicate with you. But I also share out a lot of great information. So I'm hoping that you will go over there, be a part of the email list, and so that I can communicate with you that way. And so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.